God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he, hath, he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? That we may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Let's bind a word of prayer. Father, we ask you, Father, that you would settle this congregation in your presence, that you would take away every distracting thought, every opposing spirit, every idea of man's religion. And Lord, that you would break through every heart where it has went hard, that you would warm every place that has went cold, that you would draw every part of the heart that has went wayward, that you would speak to every heart that has went deaf unto thy word. Lord, that you would call with a voice within us, O God, this morning, that you would call with a voice that's loud and that is clear, a voice that is powerful, that will call with irresistible calling in an irresistible way, with an irresistible grace. Your people back to your side, we pray for our land and for our nation. And, O oh God, that you would turn us once more to the God of our fathers. And, O oh Lord, that you would cause us, Lord, to repent at the foot of the old rugged cross, that even, Lord, when, Lord, church leaders and other men of government, Lord, have us to believe one thing against thy word, Lord, we would stand up for the word of God. And, Lord, this morning it would be buried so deep within our hearts. It would be alive so much and quickened so much within our very breast that, O oh Lord, even as we hear it this morning, we would leave here Lord, sure and steadfast with an anchor of the soul. Lord, that you and you alone are God, and we must bow our heads and bend the knee unto thee alone. And, O oh Lord, that you would be glorified in everything and in all that we are and all that we do. The Lord would be for your glory. We'll speak and start with this man. Start with this congregation. Start with this people. Start revival. And, oh God, we pray in Jesus' mighty name and for his glory. Amen. We have looked over the weeks at the mind of God to the mind of man. When I say man, I mean that in a generic term, man and woman. God's mind is written in this book. You want to know what God wants for your life? It's in this book, 66 canonized books of this one Bible. The Scriptures, the Word of God, God's mind has been revealed in His Word. And we looked at how God's mind was revealed in the flesh Word, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The very depth of God being made known to the hearts and the minds of man. We look also at many other things, how our minds must be in line with God's Word. Our minds must be in line with what God says and not what uh, the, the people of today say, not what government says against God's word. It's not what you say or I think about God's word, but it's exactly what God says. Cannot be changed, cannot be revoked, it cannot be turned around, whether that be in false religious worship or whether that be in our own minds and who we think God is and want him to be. We form our own minds idols. We cannot, under any circumstances, remove ourselves from the Word of God nor remove the Word of God from ourselves. We must live by this Word and only by the Word. 
In our hard times, we must come to the Word. In our trying times, we must go to the Word. In our anxious times, we must line our minds up and our hearts with the Word. No matter what happens, whether it's a serious illness, or whether it's a terminal uh, prognosis, no matter what comes our way, we must always first and foremost rely on the Word of God. It's only the Word that when we close our doors that will keep us. It's only the Word when you close your door today and you're lonely that will comfort you. It's only the Word in your morning when you read it that will sustain you and promise you comfort. It's only the Word when our minds are in turmoil that will bring us back into sanity again. It's only the Word and our words being conformed to the image of Christ, our minds being conformed to His image through the renewing of our minds according to the Word. Because the Word of God is the mind of God to man. The Word of God is the mind of God to you and to me this morning. You know, we make up idols all the time. The old hymn writer, the poet, said, The greatest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Do you know even as Christians, you and I have idols continually in our minds and within our hearts. Anything that takes the place of Christ in your life is your idol. Anything that fills the heart of man rather than Christ and his word is an idol. We don't need to go to a Roman Catholic church to buy at a statue, which is an idol. We don't need to go to Mecca and throw stones at a wall to chase the devil, which is an idol. We don't need to go to Jerusalem and, yes, to put notes into a wall and buy at the wailing wall. It's an idol. God says, Christ says, they that would worship the Father must worship Him in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Anything that takes your heart away from Christ is idolatrous. Great Britain, as ancient Israel, is full of idolatry. That's why our nation is in the state it is. The United States all last week has bowed to the idol of a Pope of Rome, bowed and paid obeisance unto him and kissed his hand and wrapped their arms around his feet all week. Give him platitudes that belong to Christ and worship that belongs to Christ and Christ alone. An idol of a sports star, an idol of a pop star, an idol of a film actor, an idol of self, an idol of your flesh, an idol which is your family, an idol which may be your car, an idol which could be your bank account and your riches, an idol which may become your workplace. Everything and anything that takes the place of Christ is an antichrist and is an idol in the life of all people. Do you know fear is a sin? Unbelief is a sin. And we all sin. Fear takes Christ away from the heart. Fear chases faith in Christ away from the life. Fear is the opposite of your faith. Fear will cause you to think wrong, to act wrong, to do wrong. Unbelief causes us to sin before God because our unbelief overtakes our belief and no longer are we conscious of the holiness of God in our life. 
No longer are we conscious that God sees all, that God hears all, that God knows all, that he's sovereign over all. And so we allow ourselves to go to ungodly venues and then to ungodly places to act in ungodly ways to take of the spirit of the world, which is an antichrist spirit, and to join in with its pleasures. It's an idol. Fear becomes your idol. Unbelief becomes your idol. Because it removes Christ, the only one who should be held up in your heart. Christ. Christ alone. Paul says in our reading in verse 16, 1 Corinthians 2, 16, For who hath known the mind of the Lord that, we, that he may instruct him? Every time we think God should do it our way, you formed a God of your own making. Every time we think God should do it the way we want him to do it, And God should be whom we want him to be and not the God which his mind has told us exactly whom he is. This Bible tells us whom the one true living God is, the great eternal spirit which fills the heavens and the earth, the God of all creation and eternity, who was revealed, who gave us the very profundity of his being and his heart and sent forth his word and his mind, his logos, made flesh. And outside of that, we form our own gods of our own mind. Who hath instructed him? Which one of us can tell him what to do? Which one of us can tell him how to do it? Which one of us can tell tell him when it should be done? Which one of us hold the keys and have the right to order the God of Israel? the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our Bible, the God of miracles. Which one of us puny specks of dust and worms of Jacob have a right to say, Lord, why am I thus? And you must do it my way. Nay, but not one of us have the right. And so hence our minds, because we have a false God, because we have a false idol, made up in our minds whom he is, even with the ecumenism, the ecumenical meetings that are going on around the world, multicultural faith that is coming into being, you are going to seem, if you stand up for the truth of the word, you're going to seem like the bigot and you're going to seem like the separatist, and you're going to be the fundamentalist, and you're going to be the one who has put on the right-wing sidelines, and you're going to be the one who's cast into prison because you believe in the one true living God, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Many men and women may form a God in their own hearts and in their own minds, and they may be very sorely Tardly, bitterly disappointed when the God whom they serve hath no eyes to see, no feet to walk, no hands to help, and no strength nor power. And so their circumstances is no different and nothing changes. And they're so depressed and disappointed because God hasn't acted as they thought he should act, when he should act, and how he should act. And so our minds go into disarray and into turmoil. God says, come to my word. Find out who I really am. Find out more of me. Cast all idols aside. This is even the Christian I'm saying. Cast them aside. Fear becomes an idol. We set it on a pedestal. Sickness becomes an idol. Some people love to be sick so they can just complain about it. Some people love to be poor so they can be so miserable about it. See how humble I am. And it's a false, idolatrous humility. Some people become so pious that they may see, let others see, look how godly I am. It's an idol. You're an idolater. And it's an idolatrous worship for a man and a woman to place anything 
but Christ in their life and to live and walk before him in humility, sacrifice, and service. This morning as we look at this, for who hath known the mind of the Lord? No one can know the mind of the Lord, save the Lord has self-revelation to us, given to us. We thank him for his word. We thank him for his spirit. We thank him when we read this, his spirit illuminates the pages of his word and he shows us the deep things that are hidden, the mysteries that are hidden in him from before the foundation of the world, the things that do with redemption and salvation, the things to do with healing and the things to do with the kingdom of God to come, the deliverance of his people. And who can know it only through his spirit? If you'll just flick over with me, just briefly, we looked here last week. I don't want to have to do another week, but I may, depending on how we go today. In Philippians chapter 4, please. By the way, if I don't keep the volume of my voice up, I'll go froggy, so I have to keep my volume up this morning. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4, please. And as I run down just to a couple of verses, <clears throat> excuse me, go to verse 7. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We looked at it last week, can't stop there. Finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now the last care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Notice not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound everywhere and in all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Then he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. We looked last week at how the apostle tells us here that he says, I have learned. It means I've learned a secret. God from the very profound depths of his being has shown Paul something. I have learned that whatsoever state I am in there with to be contempt, it means to become the master of that situation. You see, whenever you're struggling, whenever you're, you're unbelieving, whenever you're fearing, whenever you're anxious, whenever you're down, whenever you're frightened, whenever you're lonely, whenever you feel downcast, whenever whatever comes your way and your mind starts going into great turmoil, starts going all over the place, it's upside down and it's inside out and the fear comes and that idolatry as it were, without us even knowing it or realizing it or even wanting it, starts to form for God becomes minuscule and all of our great problems become magnified. I mean, rather than us telling uh, 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 people all the time about how big our mountain is. You need to tell your mountain how big your God is and tell it how big your Lord is and how great he is and how wonderful he is and how powerful he is, how mighty and majestic he is. And speak to the mountain the word of God. But we must first have the word of God living in us. The, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. We must know his word or we don't know him. And I've said it before. I've said it on some Sundays. I've said it on some Tuesdays. And let me say it again. There are those brothers and sisters. There are those who, whenever they're, they're in terrible times, that their times that they're in have become so terrible, they never seem to recover. And they're always looking at the problem. They're always surrounding themselves with negative attitude. They're always surrounding themselves in lack of, with lack of faith. They're always surrounding them with those who have no belief, who are, who are not spiritual enough to follow Christ through the very valley. 
through the very trial, who are not spiritual enough to look and to read and to trust and to hope on the Word of God. They're not spiritual enough. They don't see God as a big God, as a great God, as an almighty God, but rather they see him as someone on the sidelines added to value their life sometimes, add a little value to them. Christ should be our whole life. Christ should be our whole world. Christ should be first and foremost. For even he said to the church in the book of Revelation, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because I was left thy first love. You have stopped loving me as you did at the start. I've said it many times to this assembly. You know why many people don't worship? Because they don't know who they're worshiping. How can you worship God when you don't know who he is? If you know him, if you know him, you can't help yourself but worship. You cannot help yourself but worship him. The man and the woman who can sit with a heart of stone, the man and the woman who can sit with a stiffened neck, the man and the woman who do not show love for Christ then do not know him. Because when you get a reality of the grip of who he is, you can't help yourself but worship him. If you hear anything this morning, hear this. Go home and fall in love with the Lord Jesus. Fall in love with him. Paul says, I've learned to be the master. I'm instructed, he says. It means he's learned to enter into a new condition. You know, and it means to be full and to be hungry. He's learned. And what it really gives the idea of, if you remember, um, we'll not turn to it, but you, you, can, you can find it and look at it uh, maybe when you go home. But if you look at Genesis 41, and we have Pharaoh's dream where you remember the, the seven... Uh, fat kine um, are, are, are there and the seven lean kine come and the, the lean eat up the fat and then it was the corn. Same happens with the corn. Or, and Joseph interprets the dream. There's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And of course, the Lord was, was having Joseph there that Jacob and his family would come down and then Israel would be birthed out of Egypt. But in saying that, God had a plan and a purpose, you know, because God isn't surprised at how you feel, you know that. God isn't surprised at what you're thinking. God isn't surprised, you know, whenever he looks at this world and he sees the nations, when he sees the, the, the things that are happening in the nations. God wasn't surprised when they tried to break up the United Kingdom, you know. God wasn't surprised when they tried to destroy the gospel in our land. God isn't surprised whenever they, they try and, and throw all the Ten Commandments out of everywhere and bring the, the prayer times and, and the worship of Christ out of all the schools, which are now trying to do after last Monday. They're, they're calling for it. God isn't surprised when you come go to a doctor and you get a, 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 a bad diagnosis. And God isn't surprised. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing. God wasn't surprised by a famine that would come to Egypt because God had a plan and a purpose. You just got to wait for it, brother. You got to wait for it, sister, because God has the right time. To everything, there's a time and a season. Everything, it says. And that's everything in your life and in mine. And a time to every purpose under the heaven. Yes, there's even a time to be born and there's a time to die. And when it comes to the time for our loved ones to die, not one of us like it. We detest it. But here's the thing for those who are in Christ, They've only gone a little ahead of us. That the Lord will call them and he will raise them from the ground at that great day of the resurrection and we will be with them again. God is not taken by surprise because your mind and mine have thought a wrong thought, a bad thought, a, a disastrous thought, or because something has shocked us or wearied us or tired us. God is not taken by surprise because you've went wayward, cold in heart. God is not surprised. He knows it all because he's sovereign. He knows everything about us. Everything. 
God sent Joseph to Egypt knowing there'd be a famine. And the likeness of Paul says, I know how to abase and I know how to abound. I know how to be hungry and I know how to be full. And in that, I've learned to enter into a new condition. It means I have learned to become the master of everything that comes against me. You know, there's more than I get up and I, I, don't, I want to pull the duvet over my head. There's more than I can hardly pull myself out of bed like some of you too. There's times I go to pray and, and I feel like there's nothing there. and I feel so weak and I just sit before God and let the Spirit in me speak mysteries unto God and cry and utter things to God I don't know what he's saying. But nevertheless, in all of these things, brothers and sisters, in all of these things, we must become the master. We must trust in Christ and have his word dwelling in us richly. Because that's what brings you through. Now, I love worship. You know, I don't really listen to music outside of church, but I love worship. Love it. And the team have been doing fantastic, and they're getting better, I think, all the time. So I commend you for it, but I'm going to say this with respect. Worship, when you go home, is not what will sustain you. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. We must know the author of this book. Every time you open this book, the author is present. You can get all the fancy books in the bookstores. I don't read them either. I don't read man's imagination at all. That's what's wrong with half of the people. You get what's your newspapers or your magazines or your books, or your whatever them books are. I don't read any of them. You know why? You fill your head full of nonsense. Sorry, folks, I don't mean to offend you. Man's imagination. That's all it is. You fill your minds full of men's thoughts and ideas, but this book will fill your mind with the mind of God. This book will fill your mind and your thoughts with the thoughts of God. Notice this. Paul says, I have become a master. In other words, there's seven fat kind or cattle and seven lean ones, and the lean ones eat the fat ones, and it means seven plenty, seven of famine, in Egypt, and after Joseph interprets the dreams, it elevates Joseph, the prime minister, as it were, in Egypt. But notice this. Paul is given the same example here. Paul is saying, I feast on the word of God. I feast in the place of God. I drink, and I drink deep at the fountain of his Holy Spirit. And I know the author of his word. And remember, Paul's talking about the Old Testament. There is no New Testament at this time. He's writing it. I feast on the author of Israel's God. And when I feast on him and I drink from him, when the lean time comes, I know who he is. And I'm the master, not the situation. Turn with me. I'm watching the the time because time's flying. Turn with me, if you will, please, to 1 Kings 19. I have two portions of Scripture I want to read and just briefly mention a couple of things. You do a big study on both of these, but I don't want to do that. I'm just reading them. I've got them in my mind, and I want to just tell you something about them to try and help you. Elijah was a prophet to the northern house of Israel. And Elijah thinks he's the only one left. Do you ever think you're the only one left? And Elijah thinks he's the only one left, and we know the story, the Lord has 7,000 reserved under himself that haven't bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Now listen, brothers and sisters. He has just gotten 12 stones, one for each tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. He's got 12 barrels of water, and he's poured it over it, and he's dug a trench around it and filled it with water. He's put a sacrifice on it. 
So there's the spirit, the water, and the blood over the nation. That's what's wrong with Britain. That's what's wrong with our Israel, Britain. There is no blood, water, and spirit anymore in the nation. There's no blood, water, and spirit preached anymore. We were at the Elam uh, 100 centenary, a lot of us last night, and uh, Malcolm Duncan brought a great word. And you know what he said? And it really surprised me. He actually turned around, he says, and he stood up and he says, you know, it's time that you started preaching the word. And I went, preach on. It's right up my street. Preach the word, he says. Even if it means standing, do you go to prison? I wonder if we were all lined up, starting with me, and lined up, and we were had our lives looked at at our testimony and our witness and our stand for Christ, even in a politically correct age. I wonder how many of us would be found guilty of being a Christian. I'm going to be honest with you. And I don't mean everybody out there because there's many good people out there. There's many serving the Lord out there. But you see the church in general now, it's hard to find them. We heard last night of George Jeffries and and John Leach, the barrister, came along and taught Jeffries the, the prophetic word. Came alongside of him and he preached salvation and healing, baptism in the Spirit, the soon-coming King, the four-square gospel, and lives were changed. In fact, that the nation was being changed. They preached blood, water, and Spirit. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is a baptizer in the Holy Spirit. That Jesus still heals today, and that he's the soon-coming King. Preach the kingdom of God. Listen, I have something to tell you. And many Christians think, well, we are the kingdom of God. No, the church is not the kingdom. The kingdom will come when Christ comes and this earth will be his kingdom. These nations that we live in is the kingdom of God. We are his kingdom people. Can't have a king without a kingdom or a kingdom without a king. And his kingdom will come in its fullness. I believe like this man, Elijah, who called fire down from heaven and the the altar was, was consumed. And if you notice this, he slays the prophets of Baal. You know what he does? He puts all ungodliness. He puts every idol out of the nation. Can you imagine today if we said that every mosque in Britain was to be burned to the ground? And every Christian would go, or many Christians would go, oh, it's not very Christ-like. Can you imagine if you were to say you were to go into every Roman Catholic chapel and pull down their statues? Here's one for you. Can you imagine now if you were to say you were to close the football stadiums on a Sunday? Or you go to some of the Protestant churches and tear off their robes and tell them to stop pumping and ceremony and all over the people? They're idols. I know God's speaking in here this morning. The church of God and Christ, who you are the body, if we don't waken up, if we don't get our minds, the mind of God into our minds and live as he desires us to live and wants for us, our nation our nation is going to be lost. Save Christ come. Except he come in those days, no flesh shall be saved. But for the elect's sake. But for the elect's sake. Here we have, Elijah has called fire down from heaven. Elijah is a type, if you want, of the church in Israel. So you and I are the church in Israel. You and I are the church in Britain. Ahab, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, runs skulking away like a big Jenny on to his wife Jezebel. 
And that's what he's like. Brother, be the man of your home. Be the priest of your home. Be the godly leader of your home. Show by example. Lead the way. And he goes crying to his wife, a wicked witch, a Zidonian worshiper, Jezebel. And she turns around and she says, I'm going to kill Elijah the prophet. Now the fire of God has come down. The prophets of Baal have been slain. And Elijah hears one negative word. I want you to get it now. One negative word. And of all the glory of God, one negative word. And Elijah has now run away and he's in fear. Let's see Elijah's mind and Elijah's heart. Elijah, what about the word of God? Let's see his mind here. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And with all high, chapter 19, and he slain the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me even more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he had saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Look at this. There's the church of God in Britain this morning. That's the church in Britain this morning. Oh, Lord, the enemy's coming in like a flood. Oh, Lord, Jezebel's going to get me. Oh, Lord, the political correct brigade are going to throw me into prison. And I'm such a respectable person, people will think I'm a bigot. I wish I was dead. Elijah, dry your eyes and wise up. Notice this. One word, one false word, one word and dropped into the ear of Elijah, took Elijah's heart and placed an idol in his mind of Jezebel and her greatness. And she's just a rotten old witch. That's what she was. I'm not being crude. That's what she was. Just one word, negative word, said to you, and everything else that's been good seems wrong. Remember I told you of the great white sheet and this brilliant white, and you're starting to look at this great white sheet, and suddenly there's a little minute speck, it's a little black speck, a little tiny black speck on that white sheet, and out of all that sheet, all you can see is that little black speck. And I'm like that when I put a shirt on. If I get a shirt, I iron my own shirts because I like the seam to come from there right up to meet to the top and down the other side. And if there's a wrinkle here and here, I'll take it back off and iron it again. I would like to say I'd done that in the army, but it wasn't in the army. <laughs> That's when I worked in retail. But also, I'll tell you, if there's a little spot somewhere right here, I just throw it away and get the next shirt. I won't wear it. You see, all we see is the little black spot. We don't see the great white sheet. Now, you need to ask yourself this morning, what idol are you seeing above the glory of Christ? Are you not seeing the fire from heaven and the greatness of your God? Are you not seeing how he can burn up that which is impossible? What fire can burn up great big stones and boulders, especially when they're doused and drenched in water, 12 barrels full? What fire can do that? Only the fire of God. The impossibility in your life and in our nation, the impossibility in your family, and the impossibility of your, your hopes and wills and dreams and plans, then bring them and align them according to the word of God. Make sure that it's not a God of your own making, which is another idol, and say, Lord, show me according to your word what you would have me to do and be. And we all start living according to this. This land will change. Our nation will be different. You'll be different. Your circumstances will be different. Listen, time's flowing. Can you give me five minutes? Is that all right, everybody? Everybody else all right for five minutes? Burnt offerings today. Offered unto the Lord.
sweet-smelling sacrifice and savor unto him. Notice this. Will you go with me to the book of Isaiah? Go with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. Let's read just... I'll skip over this because I want to just read a couple of verses around 7 and 8. Verse 8 says, For the head of Samaria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is risen, and within three score and five years shall Ephraim be broken, and it shall not be a people. Notice, take that note. Shall not be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramaliah's son. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Now, just to let you know before we go a little further in this, what is being told here. There are two kingdoms of Israel. The ten tribe northern kingdom in the north has split, and two tribes, the southern kingdom of Judah is in the south. They become known as two sticks throughout Scripture, two families, two nations. They're told as two brothers and two sisters. There's two lines of kings with two capital cities. And out of that, they have two separate timelines and destinies. Not what you're generally told, they all mingle together and become known as Jews. That's not right. Nowhere tells us that. In fact, everything that you read coming out of Babylonian captivity later on, there's not one of the other tribes are mentioned but Levi, Judah, and Benjamin. Now, notice this. If you read this when you go home, you will find that Syria, and we're not talking about Syria today now, but Syria and the, the, the king of Syria has aligned himself with the king of the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, whose capital city was Samaria. They also become known as Ephraim. That is, the the northern uh, kingdom is known as Ephraim. That's another name for them. But they become aligned as a a, a unity and an army to fight. And who are they going to fight against? Believe it or not, they're coming down to fight against the house of Judah. That's where you get the name Jews from, the derivative nickname Jew from Judah. So Israel are fighting against Judah. Read it when you go home. Israel are fighting and they've actually took the side of Syria against their brethren Judah. Now notice this. The Lord tells the house of David, which is the kingly line in Judah or in Jerusalem, the capital. And the Lord tells them, he says, look, These are two smoking firebrands, he calls them in verse 4. He says, look, if you turn to me, Judah, Jerusalem, in other words, if you turn to me, house of Judah, he says, these two smoking firebrands of Syria and the house of Israel, he says, they will not harm you. And when they start crying and putting on to God, in other words, when they fill their nation, their families, when they fill their homes, when they fill their temple, whenever they fill themselves with the word of God, looking to him alone, God then extinguishes these two smoking firebrands. Ephraim, who are the house of Israel, and the king of Syria, Rezin, the king of Syria. But notice what the Lord says in verse 9. The head of Ephraim, that is the northern kingdom of Israel, is Samaria, that's their capital city, where their kings came from. And the head of Samaria is Ramaliah's son. That's who the king was. He says, if you will not believe, surely you will not be established. Now, here's what he's saying. If you don't worship me according to my word, if you don't follow me and have my mind in you, He says, then, he says, you'll not be established. Do you know what's wrong with the church? Do you know what's wrong with our nation? Do you know what's wrong with our government? It's not established in the word of God. That's what's wrong with it. And if we were to be established in his word, 
Brothers and sisters, can I say this? See even as a Christian believer. Oh, I'm going to stand on some of these corners. Stop being worldly. Stop it. Stop being through other with the things of God. Stop being lazy and lethargic with the house of God. Stop putting your trust in your own idols and putting your sport and putting your love of job or money or whatever it may be. Stop putting it before God because Christ is coming and he will require it of you. This thought I want to finish with. Thank you. We've run over time, but thank you for your attention. Look at verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spake again to Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. And Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Now notice that the Lord comes to the king of Judah and says, Your enemy's coming. And you're starting to be fearful. Is there anybody and you're starting to be fearful about something? Now listen, I'm talking about even in your own personal life. You're fearful even about national life. You're talking about a global life. Whatever it is in your life, sickness in your life, trouble in your life, no matter what it is in your life. Listen, now let this be a word to you. The Lord says this. Now, now before you say, I want this, Lord, let me finish. The Lord says, Ask, he says, a sign of the Lord God, thy God, and ask either in the deep or in the height. And Ahaz says, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. In other words, he was being a little bit uh, pious, and the Lord, I'm so spiritual, I don't need to ask of anything. We're not saying we don't ask, for Jesus tells us to ask, to seek, and to knock. He tells us to come and pray. But the idea here is that Ahaz is saying, look, the enemy's coming to us, Lord. You've told us to turn to you and we'll be established. What she will do, and the Lord says, then ask a miracle if you want it. If you need one, he says, ask me. How desperate are we, brothers and sisters, for our nation? How desperate are we for our church here, our assembly? How desperate are we for our family? How desperate are we for those we love? He says, ask me. I can't ask you, Lord. <laughs> then he says, well, then I'll give you a sign. Notice what he says. And he said, verse 13, Hear ye now, O house of David, that's the line of the kings out of Judah, where Christ would come. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But ye will weary my God also. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son shall call his name Emmanuel. Here is what the prophet is saying under the inspiration of the Spirit. Are you ready? You can ask for all the signs and God says out of your heart, you cry unto him and he will answer you. Don't form an idol. Come to the reality of the word of God, what it says, and ask him. But then he says, but if you want the real sign, if you want the greatest sign, he says this, he says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Lord, what are you talking about? I don't understand your language and I don't know your ways and I don't know why you're telling me this now. Why would I be worried about a virgin conceiving? Saved Messiah would come. And did he come then? No. They had to believe the word. Trust in the word. And his name shall be called. Notice, Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus is God, you know that? Our God is Jesus. So this is 
Verse 11, he says, Ask either in the deep or in the height above. See the word deep there? It's a word, amak. And this is what it means. Now, see if you catch this. It means profound. Do you know what that means? It gives the idea of something originating from the depths of one, one's being. Something originating out of the depths of one's being. The Lord says, I see if you know me, you know my word, and you're really trusting me. My brother, sister, if there's a, a, a fear has come on you or an anxiety or a worry, cast it out. And keep your mind in him. Keep the perfect peace whose mind is still on thee because he trusts in thee. He says, if you know me, you read this word, you will know me. And if you know me, he says, you will be able to understand, listen, the things that are originating from the depths of my being, my mind to you, my thoughts to you, my will to you is what? My word to you. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14, John 1, 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of, listen, the only begotten of the Father. Here is the Father's glory from the depths of his being. Spoken forth into a body of flesh. Manifesting in the person of Christ. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. And he's full of grace and truth. Brothers and sisters, what more do we need to have the mind of God to the mind of man this morning, the mind of woman, to read his word and say, Lord, when I'm reading your word, I'm seeing the profound, the profound things, the profundities of God, the mysteries of God made known. In the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, at the cross, when he was nailed hand and foot, the very depths of his being was nailed to the cross. Do you get that? The very depths of God was nailed to the cross. And every man and every woman who reject him, reject the very depths of their salvation in him. Every man and woman that reject Christ on the cross, they reject him and all his glory. They reject the mind, the will, and the word of God for your life and for your redemption and salvation because it's all centered on him. Everything emanates and revolves around God and flesh hanging on a cross in the person of a son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't think we can get the glory or know God any other way but by the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless his word this morning.